This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Between the Lines with the Administrative Conference of the United States on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now, your host, Andrew Foyce. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the new FNN program, Between the Lines with the Administrative Conference of the United States. My name is Andy Foyce, the chair of the Administrative Conference and the host of this program. Now, of course, we love our acronyms in the federal government, so the Administrative Conference of the United States goes by the name of ACUS. So you will hear uh, it referred to in that way throughout this program. On the first episode of uh, Between the Lines, uh, we focused on ACUS itself uh, and its work. Uh, that program is available as a podcast on the FNN website. Um, to review quickly, ACUS is a small, independent federal agency, the miss- mission of which is simply to make the government work better, and particularly regarding administrative law and administrative procedures. As chair of ACUS, I stand on uh, the shoulders of, uh, of many chairmen before me and chairs before me, in, including uh, the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia uh, was chair of ACUS before he became a federal judge. And in testifying to the Congress for ACUS appropriations one time, he called ACUS the best bang for the buck in the federal government. This episode will take us between the lines of the important issue of access to justice in administrative procedures. More specifically, how are the interests of regular people and small businesses represented before federal administrative agencies considering taking actions that affect those interests? The big corporations um, have their pricey lawyers, of course, to look after their interests. But what about the little guy? What about the small businesses? That's what this show will be about. Uh, Now, of course, when people think about access to justice, uh, they usually think about litigation and courtrooms, Uh, you you know, federal public defenders, local public defenders, legal aid societies. Less thought of is meaningful access and representation before administrative agencies. But it really shouldn't be that way because, after all, many more people are affected every day by what is going on in administrative agencies than in courtrooms. Every day, agencies decide the fate of all sorts of benefits for people, Social Security, disability, health, uh, VA, uh, housing, on and on. And they also decide how to um, uh, regulate uh, small businesses as well. OSHA, financial, environmental, uh, all sorts of regulations affect small businesses uh, who may not have uh, representation during those processes. So how do people navigate these administrative procedures to get their voices heard? And how do they get representation when needed to protect their rights? And who are these representatives? What should their qualifications be? How do we serve underserved communities and uh, people with disabilities and people with language issues? ACUS has been exploring these and other questions about access to justice along with its partners. And let me just say specifically uh, by way of disclaimer that unless I particularly refer to a recommendation by the assembly of ACUS, uh, what what we're talking about today uh, is not uh, the specifically adopted um, positions uh, of the assembly of the conference. So let's get to it. To provide answers to the questions that I've raised about access to justice, we have four wonderful and knowledgeable uh, guests. Amy Widman is a professor of law at Rutgers University Law School. Um, She has been director of the National Center for Access to Justice at Fordham Law School. Her widely published research has focused on how justice systems can better address inequality 
through increasing access. She's currently working on a project with ACUS as a consultant. Rachel Rossi is the director of the Office of Access to Justice in the U.S. Department of Justice. She previously served as associate deputy attorney general and as counsel to both the Senate and House Judiciary Committees. She spent almost a decade as a public defender in Los Angeles. Ron Flagg is the president of the Legal Services Corporation, or LSC. That's its acronym. He previously served as its vice president for legal affairs and general counsel. He practiced administrative and commercial litigation at the law firm of Sidley, Austin, for over three decades and was president of the Washington, D.C. Bar. And finally, Lou Varelli is a professor at the Stetson University Law School. He is a teacher, author, and expert in administrative law. He's a newly appointed public member of ACUS and is currently serving as the reporter for an ACUS project to develop model rules of representation in administrative proceedings. So let's get to it, Professor Widman. Um, Let me turn to you first and ask you to set the stage for us. What is access to justice, and how does it relate to administrative agencies and their work? Sure, and it's a pleasure to be here. I've been a fan of ACUS and its mission and its work for a long time. So access to justice means a lot of things. To my mind, it's both a field of research and a movement that has really come into its own in recent years as an interdisciplinary discussion with the goal of creating justice institutions that work for people who need them. So as you said, we often think about access to justice in terms of court proceedings, but people also interact with the federal bureaucracy in so many areas related to these civil justice rights. I'm thinking here of people who are applying for benefits and grants, as well as complying with various reporting, licensing, and other obligations. These governmental functions and their outcomes look and feel justice-related to many people. In this view, access to justice overlaps with many of the equity and customer experience initiatives currently underway throughout administration. The idea of centering beneficiaries and just designing administrative systems that increase people's sense of open and fair interactions with government is, to me, an access to justice view. Okay. Uh, Well, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Can you tell us just a little bit more about how access to justice and burden reduction efforts um, under the customer experience, uh, EO, are related? Yeah, I think these initiatives share values. They share the values of equity and public participation in justice, values of transparency and accountability in decision-making, and values of strengthening rule of law and democracy norms. Access to justice work also shares solutions with the equity and customer experience work currently underway throughout the government um, and work actively being studied by agencies like AGIS and the Legal Aid Interagency Roundtable. Things like simplifying processes for people to apply for Uh, government programs and benefits, burden reduction above and beyond simplification, so things like data sharing and auto-enrollment processes that remove the need for multiple time-consuming applications from beneficiaries, internal agency design, so thinking about how we evaluate agency mission from the perspective of the public user and prioritizing this within agency organization and hierarchy, so a more bottom-up and collaborative approach to agency design, and of course, expanding assistance. Here I'm including the broad range of assistance offered to people navigating administrative programs from online tools to in-person information and also to various stages of legal advice. So can you tell us a little bit about what the current research in these areas um, uh, reveals, where the work is happening? Yeah, so we know there's a justice gap. We know that this gap extends into all areas of people's lives. Legal problems aren't isolated to courtrooms. They're part of a complex web of life experiences. Government policies and programs are part of this complex web. 
when people are not able to access benefits and programs that they're entitled to, either because they lack access to assistance or legal representation, or the programs require burdensome applications and compliance, then we start to see inequitable outcomes and compounding poverty. So the bulk of access to justice research and interventions has been focused on state courts and the role that representation plays in the courtroom, increasing access to justice. And there, in recent years, for example, people have advocated for expanding a right to counsel in civil matters, expanding other forms of representation through separating out specific legal tasks, sometimes called unbundling, encouraging limited licensed professionals and other navigator programs to assist people um, in representation by non-lawyers, and building out tools to assist people who represent themselves. And we have less research beyond the courtroom experience, but we do have some pockets of research showing that people's outcomes improve with representation in administrative adjudication as well, notably in immigration and disability hearings. And there's still a lot we need to understand about the role that representation and all forms of assistance play in these variety of administrative settings. Well, it makes a lot of sense that representation will get you better outcomes. How about social science research on uh, burdens uh, in, in administrative proceedings? Social science has so much to tell us about how people experience interactions with their government. A particularly relevant area of this research looks at the burdens that are felt by people who are navigating federal programs. So we know that people encounter multiple types of burdens, uh, burdens around learning costs, compliance costs, psychological costs, and these burdens disrupt access to benefits and rights and also are higher for marginalized groups. Some of the simplification and assistance programs currently in place in government agencies focus mostly on these learning costs that result from navigating burdensome procedures, but we're starting now to get indications from people who have used various forms of non-lawyer representation. There is a positive impact on the psychological costs associated with expanding representation as well. Through current work by ACUS in this area, we know that agencies are innovating ways to improve customer experience with government programs and services by reducing burdens, but we also know there's still more to be done to prioritize and amplify this work and embed it into agencies and their various decision-making functions. Things like strong leadership within agencies can bring together program folks, general counsels, and customer experience teams and that can bring kind of a whole agency approach to these discussions in ways that really allows for the kind of innovations that we need in this front. ACUS is actually working on recommendations along some of these lines to reduce administrative burden in these ways. What else do we know from various stakeholders, Professor? Well, I expect we'll hear more from today's guests about legal aid providers and their clients, but one group that really can offer us some models for federal agencies is the state administrative law judges. Uh, I recently surveyed states on these issues, and a recurring theme I heard from state administrative law judges is that the biggest hurdle to access to justice in administrative adjudication remains lack of representation for claimants, either legal or otherwise. This is true even though administrative adjudication is often thought to be somewhat friendlier to self-represented people. State ALJs cited a need for representatives that can help people clarify their claims, gather useful evidence, preserve appeal rights, and understand remedies the agency can provide. And the ALJs reported that in the states, the majority of people who appear before them remain unrepresented. In the states, at least, opportunities to expand forms of representation in administrative proceedings are not as robust as they could be. Various initiatives are hindered by lack of centralization across many state administrative hearing systems. For example, many states don't have a centralized code of ethics that specifically addresses who may represent someone in administrative adjudication. Later in today's show, there'll be more focus on an effort in the federal system to provide such guidance. 
Well, thank you, Professor. We have to stop here for a break. Uh, When we get back, we'll hear from our next guest, the Director of the Office of Access to Justice in the Justice Department. You're listening to Between the Lines with ACUS on the Federal News Network. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone, to Between the Lines with the Administrative Conference here on the Federal News Network. My name is Andy Foyce, the chair of the Administrative Conference and the host of this program. We are talking today about access to justice in administrative proceedings. Uh, We have a very special guest who is joining us. Her name is Rachel Rossi, and she's the director of the Office of Access to Justice in the Department of Justice. Director Rossi, welcome to Between the Lines. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. It's great to be here. Oh, of course. Thank you. Um, Director Rossi, can you please tell us first about the Office of uh, Access to Justice and its mission? Sure. Uh, The Office for Access to Justice, as you said, is a separate office within the U.S. Department of Justice. Um, And we were reestablished at the end of 2021 by Attorney General Garland. Our mission is to break down barriers to the founding principle and enduring mission of the Department of Justice, equal justice under law. So what that means is that we work to ensure access to the promises and protections of both our civil and criminal and administrative systems and proceedings for all communities. We believe that justice belongs to everyone, and we launch initiatives and projects with this vision. Well, that is quite an admirable mission to have. Uh, And I know from uh, one of the meetings that I've attended that you and uh, Associate Attorney General Gupta and and the Attorney General, as well as the White House, are uh, all very supportive of, of this mission. Um, there's another uh, agency uh, that uh, you work with, and that's called the Legal and Interagency Roundtable, the Legal Aid and Interagency Roundtable. It goes by the acronym of LAIR. Could you tell us what that is and what that does? Sure. LAIR is an interagency collaboration of over 28 federal agencies. It is co-chaired by Attorney General Garland and White House Counsel's Office. Um, And basically, LAIR works to improve access to justice across the federal government. One of the exciting kind of mandates of the Office for Access to Justice is we house LAIR's executive director, Allie Young-Green, and we're also directed to staff the work of LAIR and to ensure that we are um, complying with all of the presidential mandates uh, for LAIR. So that includes Um, LAIR hosts three meetings per year. Um, One of those meetings we call a principal's convening. Um, So that is an annual meeting that we hold where we um, include the heads of our member agencies. um, And we also are mandated to issue one report per year. And so in 2021, that report and work focused a lot on um, access to justice across the government in the wake of COVID-19. Um, and in 2022, Lair focused on how we can really simplify access for the public um, to government and to our federal agencies. Um, Lair's mandates are really broad to um, uh, collaborate with stakeholders, but also to develop policy recommendations that improve access to justice in federal, state, local, 
tribal and international jurisdictions um, and to advance relevant evidence-based research, data collection, and analysis of civil, legal, and indigent defense and to promulgate best practices. So we have a broad mandate, but it's really um, fantastic to have the expertise and the vision of so many different federal agencies all working together toward the same mission of access to justice. Well, that is a big portfolio in, indeed. And um, uh, ACUS, of course, as you mentioned, is uh, is a partner with LAIR, and we're proud to be one. Um, I, I was honored to be a, a speaker at the principals meeting in December, and I look forward to the next one. And I'll, I'll make sure to uh, give a shout-out to that meeting in the uh, uh, December <laughs> show. Um, uh, this year, as you said, we're, we're focusing on access to justice and administrative proceedings. Um, could you, and, and ACUS is working very hard on that, as I said. Could you tell us a little bit about how that partnership works? Absolutely. So um, I have to say ACUS has been one of our most collaborative um, partners and leaders with LAIR, and we've been really grateful for that relationship. Um, you're speaking at the December principles convening was invaluable, but also um, uh, ACUS has been helpful in leading trainings and facilitating um, working group meetings. Um, so we've been really lucky to have the partnership of ACUS. Um, again, in thinking about how we partner and collaborate with member agencies, um, we I think 2022 was a fantastic year where we really took that partnership to the next level. Um, we worked on uh, how do you simplify access to federal government? And we looked at how we do that in a very unique way, kind of incorporating a people-centered lens. So in 2022, um, all of our members came together. Um, we engaged with legal service providers and asked them, you know, what are the major issues that your clients face in accessing federal government programs, services, and resources? So looking at forms, um, language, processes, we engage with legal service providers to ask them, where are the common pitfalls? Where do you see the problems? Um, and based off of what we learned, we created a roadmap to help um, our members and federal agencies at large to consistently employ this sort of process with engaging the public that we serve to determine how we can simplify and expand access to our programs and services. So the partnership with our member agencies has really been incredibly valuable. Um, what barriers do you see uh, that the administrative uh, proceedings pose to um, uh, individual people, small businesses, and, and particularly um, groups like traditionally underserved communities, uh, people whose first language is in English, um, and those who may be challenged by a disability? So we um, are taking that simplification focus and looking, like you said, exactly at administrative proceedings, which I think um, uh, pose very unique barriers. Um, last year, we looked kind of broadly at, you know, what are the barriers that are faced when accessing federal government. This year, we're looking more narrowly at administrative proceedings that can I think pose much greater hurdles and problems. Um, one of the, you know, sort of the areas that we've seen um, barriers to arise include um, just having complex language, for example, um, or utilizing legal information or legalese. 
Um, we've also seen that barriers could be uh, language access or disability related. Um, people with disabilities um, and communities with limited proficiency in English. Um, for these communities, it can also it can often be even more difficult to navigate um, these administrative proceedings with additional barriers and hurdles that can arise. Um, we also just have been looking at how complex administrative proceedings can be and how that oftentimes really increases the need for legal help. Um, and um, oftentimes we see that being a barrier, just insufficient legal assistance. Um, so um, I would say all of these are barriers we've seen, but I think um, more broadly, what we do need is kind of more research to better understand what um, is happening in administrative proceedings and how we can um, better recognize these systemic kind of hurdles and how we can develop better solutions. And uh, who do you think should represent um, uh, these folks and the, these interests? Do we do they need lawyers, um, or can they self-represent successfully, or is is there someone other than a um, a lawyer uh, who can, who can represent them? So what's interesting about administrative proceedings is that many times people do have lawyers um, for many. Um, low-income communities, um, legal aid programs, legal service providers um, regularly provide assistance in accessing federal government benefits. Um, but we've also seen that federal agencies have used more innovative approaches because we know legal aid programs are, are just underfunded. They don't have enough resources, um, and oftentimes they're turning people away um, and they're just not able to serve the community and the great amount of need that exists. So um, what we've been looking at and exploring is how in federal um, administrative proceedings, how non-lawyers um, are really becoming an essential means of addressing these legal needs. Um, one of the ways that we see this working is through accreditation programs, um, and those vary greatly from agency to agency, um, but they all require that accredited representatives remain in good standing and provide proof of accreditation to the adjudicator. We've also seen another um, approach, uh, qualified representatives, which are a little bit different, but they actually allow um, unpaid or paid friends, family members, or trusted community members to represent people um, in these administrative proceedings. So what we're seeing is how we, we have to expand access to funding for lawyers and for legal help so that the legal aid providers have the resources they need to provide the work. Um, but we also have to be thinking innovatively about how we can deploy approaches like this where we're utilizing the assistance of qualified non-lawyer representatives um, to expand access for all communities. I see. Um, well, this has been terrific, Rachel. Uh, thank you so much. want to give you a a last uh, bite at the apple. Any um, anything we didn't cover that uh, that you might want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I'll just say that you know when we talk about administrative proceedings and when we talk about um, you know, access to federal government, sometimes what can get lost, I think, is what this really means. And at the end of the day, you know, it's not about a form or a website or a process. It's really about just the core basic needs of the people uh, in this country. Um, you know, talking about food security, um, a roof over your head, 
um, access to family members and custody of, of children. Um, these are the sorts of problems and core basic needs that we're seeking to improve and to ensure access for all communities. Um, and historically, it, is, it tends to be low income and historically underserved um, and communities of color that tend to disproportionately not gain the right access to these sorts of basic core needs through federal government um, programs and, and process. So what we're doing is we're trying to simplify so that more communities can gain access to really the core services that the federal government is seeking to provide. Uh, well, that's great. Uh, Director, again, I can't thank you enough for being with us. Um, you've uh, you've really um, uh, enlightened us in, in many areas of this issue. And um, let me say we'll be right back uh, with the president of the Legal Services Corporation. You're listening to Between the Lines with the Administrative Conference on the Federal News Network. Lots more ahead. Thanks for staying with us. This is Between the Lines that you're listening to with the Administrative Conference of the United States. My name is Andy Foyce, the chair of the Administrative Conference and the host of this program. And we are talking about access to justice in administrative proceedings. Our next guest is Ron Flagg, president of the Legal Services Corporation. Thanks for being with us, Ron. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be with you. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about the Legal Services Corporation, LSC, and the work of your grantees? LSC is the single largest funder of civil legal aid for low-income Americans. We fund 131 independent nonprofit legal aid organizations that serve communities in all 50 states, the territories, and the District of Columbia. Our grantees assist people with a wide range of civil legal issues, including child support and custody, employment, housing, consumer debt, income maintenance, and many other areas. Every day, attorneys at LSC grantees assist individuals with applications for or appeals involving federal benefits like supplemental security income, veterans benefits, and workers' compensation. Access to these benefits can be life-changing, particularly for veterans, people with disabilities, or people experiencing homelessness. So uh, what sort of administrative work do your grantees do? Can you uh, give us some examples of uh, administrative forums uh, in which your grantees and their clients appear? Sure. Uh, LSC grantee attorneys assist low-income individuals at every stage of the administrative process. For example, attorneys in the Veterans Unit at Legal Aid of Southeastern Pennsylvania help veterans with initial applications for both veterans benefits and supplemental security income benefits. They also assist veterans with appeals from denials of benefits at each stage, from the initial reconsideration up through proceedings in the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. LSC grantee attorneys, and for that matter, paralegals and others who at times provide direct representation, are sophisticated administrative law practitioners with deep, deep wells of knowledge about both the substantive laws and the practical aspects of administrative proceedings. You know, of course, we don't have to um, worry about um, corporations and people of means, um, but what sort of burdens are, are presented to uh, people with socioeconomic um, uh, problems, uh, poverty, 
Um, uh, what sort of burdens do they have in uh, dealing with administrative procedures to try to get benefits? Well, I think there are several challenges. One is that uh, administrative processes work well until they don't. Maybe a document got lost at the agency or an applicant moved and forgot to inform the agency and consequently didn't receive notice of a hearing or the applicant thought they provided enough evidence to support their claim and the agency asked for records that are redundant or hard to obtain, uh, then they become, the administrative processes become mazes that are difficult to navigate on your own. And that's especially true for people for whom English is a second language or who have low levels of literacy or frankly are just trying to balance the demands of family and everyday life with obtaining benefit. And that leads me to a second challenge, which is that people living in poverty are often exhausted by the time they're talking to lawyers uh, or others about their problems. They've told their story over and over to government officials, and they're frustrated that they can't get the benefits that they need to keep a roof over their heads or to get medical care for themselves or their families. So what can we do to address these people's uh, uh, needs? Uh, what, what's helpful in, in addressing their problems? Several things. Uh, first, access to effective counsel or representation by paralegals, authorized representatives, or community justice workers is a big one. Having someone who is knowledgeable about the process by your side can be very helpful to telling your story to administrative decision makers. And part of being an effective representative is trauma-informed practice. Many people living in poverty who are attempting to obtain benefits have suffered from adverse childhood experiences like abuse or neglect, domestic violence, military sexual trauma, substance use disorders, and the like. Representatives who are trained to address these issues in a compassionate manner are critical to helping an applicant for benefits make their case for eligibility. Another approach is providing simple, accessible forms and self-help materials. Not everyone who engages with administrative agencies needs or is able to obtain counsel. So it's critical for agencies to publish forms and guides that can be read and understood by people with differing levels of English literacy and who need to use different modalities such as videos or assisted technology to access information. And finally, agencies themselves can provide navigators or knowledgeable staff who help applicants and appellants make their way through the process. Having an inside person assigned to help you identify and complete the correct forms, compile the needed evidence to support your claim, and submit those forms and evidence to the correct places by the correct time can be a huge boon to people who don't have representation. And and your people, uh, LSC, the uh, representatives are mostly or exclusively lawyers or, or not? They're both lawyers and uh, people who are trained in particular areas of administrative law, such as uh, uh, Social Security disability uh, cases. Uh, the point is they have sufficient training and uh, availability and uh um, compassion to help people through the maze that I've just described. And um, so these people who are, are looking for and uh, otherwise don't have representation, uh, why do you think that is? Well, again, there are a few reasons. One is that people who don't know that, uh, one is that people don't know that the denial of an application for benefits is a legal issue. 
they think it's just part of the process and don't recognize that actually the denial of an application is an administrative law action that an attorney can help them overcome. We all learned that in law school. Most people haven't had that benefit. So there's an education issue. And that feeds into a second reason, which is the justice gap. The justice gap is the difference between the civil legal needs of low-income Americans and the resources available to meet those needs. Last year, LSC published the results of our 2022 justice gap study. The study measured the number of substantial civil legal problems individuals face that they are unable to obtain any or enough legal help to resolve, and its results were shocking. Low-income individuals did not receive any or enough help to resolve 92%, 92% of the legal problems they faced. Access to federal benefits is one of the many legal issues for which low-income individuals were unable to obtain adequate legal assistance. And although research, as Professor Widman referred to, has shown that representation, whether by lawyers or non-lawyers with training, uh, in representing people in administrative proceedings increases both the efficiency of the administrative process and the likelihood that an applicant for benefits will prevail on their claim. There are neither enough resources nor enough attorneys to represent every applicant who needs representation. I see, Ron. Thank you. You know, I uh, am honored as chair of ACUS that um, LSE and ACUS have been working together partnering on webinars focused on improving access to justice and administrative proceedings, of course. Can you tell us a little bit about that partnership and uh, what some of the important takeaways are? Thanks, Andy, for the question and for for our collaboration. We've LSC has operated multiple task forces in recent years examining issues ranging from disaster relief to the opioid epidemic to veterans' issues. And a lesson learned in all of those enterprises was the importance of collaboration. As we've been encouraging our grantees to collaborate with government agencies and social service agencies in their service areas, we at LSC have similarly sought to collaborate with others uh, to that op- overlap with our areas of interest. So when ACUS approached us with the idea for this series, we jumped at it. And you all have been exceptional partners, particularly Jeremy Grabois and his team who have worked hand in hand with Stephanie Davis and our team. Uh, at LSC to identify really stellar speakers and produce some really thoughtful, insightful discussion. We have greatly appreciated ACUS's attention to this issue, which has helped LSC raise awareness of the justice gap generally and in administrative proceedings more specifically. When most people think about justice or access to justice or the justice gap, they think about court cases. They don't think about how often the average American interacts with the federal or state governments for everything from filing taxes and receiving tax refunds to applying uh, for patents or realize that every time something goes amiss in one of those processes, that a civil legal issue that lawyers can help address. And I think this partnership has allowed us to bring that message to a broader audience. Another takeaway is that having lawyers and advocates who may not be law trained, but who are experienced in the administrative process, represent people in administrative proceedings really makes a difference in making those proceedings go more smoothly. Research has shown that representation increases both the efficiency of the administrative process and the likelihood that an applicant for benefits will prevail on their claim at the initial stage or early stages of a proceeding, depending on when they became represented. 
in our first webinar last December, which examined the benefits of access to representation in federal administrative proceedings, both the legal aid and federal agency representatives spoke about how much more efficient the processes work when applicants have an advocate who can say to the agency, hey, this application has been sitting for an abnormally long time. What's going on? Or here's all the documentation you need to make a decision on this request for reconsideration. What does that mean in practice? It means that administrative systems operate more efficiently and make decisions about applications and appeals more quickly and at earlier stages. That represents time and financial savings to the agency. It also means that people living in poverty get, get much needed benefits, particularly health and financial benefits, more quickly. It helps people living in poverty find stability more quickly. All of those are wins. Well, thank you so much, Ron, and, and we at ACUS have really um, enjoyed and, and gotten a lot out of our partnership as well. When we come back, everybody, we'll hear from Professor Lou Varelli about his work on rules to govern representation and administrative proceedings to, to work out uh, who, who they are and what the standards of conduct should be. You're listening to Between the Lines with ACUS on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to our discussion today about access to justice and administrative procedures. My name is Andy Foyce, the chair of the Administrative Conference and the host of this program. We talk now with Professor Lou Varelli of Stetson Law School, who serves as the reporter for the ACUS Working Group on Model Rules of Representation in Administrative Procedures, an important access to justice issue. Welcome, Professor, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, of course. Uh, we look forward to a, um, a very informative uh, segment, um, which can you please first describe what the Model Rules Working Group is, um, its mission, and uh, its process? Sure. Um, so the Model Rules Working Group is a collection of ACUS members who are experts in the area of administrative adjudication. Um, we have been tasked with designing a set of model rules of representative conduct, and that's sort of a broad terminology for um, a series of rules that guide the selection, qualification, and conduct of individuals who are representing participants in agency adjudication. The mission is to sort of help agencies better understand how representatives can be employed to create greater access to justice for participants in those adjudications. And the process is relatively simple. The working group is divided into four subcommittees based on the sort of big picture topics that we'll be addressing. As reporter, it's my responsibility to do some of the initial drafting and to collect the relevant materials for the experts in the working group to consider. We collaboratively go over all of that material and decide what makes the most sense, what communicates best, what we're trying to accomplish. And hopefully, by early summer next year, we'll have a finished product that can be brought to the plenary session of ACUS for its adoption. And I understand the uh, working group is broken into uh, a couple of more committees, is that right, or subcommittees? That's right, and we do that based on subject matter. The idea was to give working group members who, are, of course, are invited to participate in whatever aspect of the process they would like an opportunity to really focus on an area that might appeal to them or be more directly related to their expertise. So, for example, we have subcommittees on qualification standards, on conduct and ethics standards, 
on rule enforcement, and on transparency and reporting by agencies of the model rules. We've been very fortunate that participation has been really robust. And although everyone was eager to sign up for one subcommittee, we've had lots of people participating in multiple subcommittees, which I, as reporter, of course, am really grateful for. Are you uh, doing this all from scratch, or is the working group doing it all from scratch, or are there some uh, primary uh, and other sources uh, out there that you can draw on? We've been really lucky to be able to build off prior work done for ACUS by Professor George Cohen at the University of Virginia. Um, Professor Cohen's scholarship prior to this project getting underway included conduct rules and standards for representatives before agencies. He did a lot of work collecting primary sources from the agencies, and he wrote a report for ACUS called The Regulation of Representatives in Agency Adjudicated Proceedings. That report is incredibly informative and comprehensive, and it was followed by uh, Recommendation 2021-9 adopted by ACUS in December of 2021 regarding regulation of representatives and agency adjudicated proceedings. And we've been very fortunate to be able to build off all of that good work in transitioning from a descriptive and normative account of representative agency proceedings to a more concrete list of rules that can be presented to agencies for their uh, adoption as they see fit. And how do you see this work and and uh, developing uh, effective representation, uh, helping uh, people in uh, what they have to do before and how they're challenged before administrative agencies, particularly as compared to court processes, which gets more of the attention than administrative representation does? Right. Well, as the administrative adjudicative process is really varied by agency and even by subject matter. We have focused our work on agency adjudications that involve some manner of oral presentation before an adjudicator, um, which limits the universe slightly. But the problem with access to justice is potentially significant. Court proceedings are formalized. They involve a level of expertise and experience that sometimes is simply beyond the availability of participants in a more informal, say, benefits adjudication or even enforcement proceeding before a federal agency. The idea is that these model rules will help agencies identify potentially helpful representatives and empower participants in those adjudications who feel like they need assistance in one form or another to select representatives from a wider range than just the legal community. Of course, licensed attorneys are permitted by the Agency Practice Act to appear in agency adjudications, but the access to justice issue is really focused on having representatives who are not necessarily licensed attorneys um, be able to help folks who otherwise might be overwhelmed or feel uncomfortable representing themselves in an adjudicative process. Um, That will include people who are licensed in other professions, as well as just family members and friends who participants in those proceedings feel comfortable with acting as representatives. Well, following up on that, are there any extra qualifications you're looking for amongst barred lawyers? And uh, what uh, might be the um, qualifications for non-lawyers? Well, we haven't so far in our work come up with a list of qualifications beyond a law license, in part because statutory language is generally pretty inclusive when it comes to lawyers appearing as representatives. But we have sort of thought pretty carefully so far, although the process is still ongoing, about what sorts of standards representatives who do not have a license to practice law might bring to the table that could be useful. Everything from the personal relationship with the participant in the proceeding to relevant expertise and education and experience, issues of character and other skills that we want to both 
protect against representation that might not best serve a participant while still creating a pretty broad scope of qualified representatives so that participants in proceedings feel like they get the help they need and get the most out of the adjudication. What would be your advice about people um, representing themselves? Well, there's, of course, the old adage about a lawyer representing themselves and having a fool for a client. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's not necessarily the case in adjudicated proceedings because many of the proceedings are quite personal and involve facts that the participant knows sometimes uniquely. But at the same time, I think creating a space where participants in agency adjudications feel like they have better access to representatives and a wider range of choices, and more importantly, are even aware that those choices are available to them, um, really creates a more robust system where we can have more confidence in participants being involved actively in these adjudications, which I tend to think will lead to better outcomes. And does the working group uh, make a distinction between qualifications of representatives and uh, the conduct of particularly attorney representatives? It does. So there's um, several topics of interest to the working group. Um, the first and the first subcommittee work, which we've already at least completed at the subcommittee level, will eventually be presented to the plenary, is about qualifications and what sort of qualities or factors we want to consider in having a representative appear on behalf of a participant in agency proceeding, including other professional licenses they may hold or participation in an organization that has established with an agency that it is qualified to train representatives. So that's the qualifications piece. The conduct piece looks a little bit more like the model rules of professional conduct for attorneys. We're concerned or focused, I should say, on issues like competency, candor, preparation, diligence, transparency, confidentiality, and ethics concerns like ex parte contacts and conflicts of interest. Just a set of standards that agencies can choose to adopt as, as is appropriate to their systems to make sure that even well-meaning representatives have some guidance as to how to go about participating in an adjudication that might not be terribly familiar to them. And is there an enforcement uh, aspect to this as well? There will be. That's still part of our ongoing work. We are getting ready to enter into that stage of the proceeding, but there certainly will be guidelines for how whichever rules an agency adopts out of the model rules can be enforced, everything from how complaints are brought and to whom, how those hearings will be conducted, and again, who will preside over them, um, review of those hearings in the form of an appeal or something like it, and what sort of disciplinary measures will be available. That is a topic that's going to depend very much on the nature of the representative. So, for example, licensed attorneys will likely be disciplined differently um, for lots of reasons than individuals who do not hold a law license. Sure, of course. Well, thank you, Professor. Uh, we have to wrap up now. Um, uh, you were terrific. And thank you to all of our guests for being here and for sharing their experiences uh, with the issue and uh, working with ACUS on this important topic of access to justice in administrative proceedings. Uh, in the coming months, we'll explore other current topics of, of interest in administrative law and many of the projects that ACUS is working on. If you want more information on ACUS uh, and its work, you can go to www.acus.gov. And to listen to this program online, go to www.federalnewsnetwork.com. Uh, for now, uh, thank you all for listening. So long, and I hope we pass the audition. 
You've been listening to Between the Lines with the Administrative Conference of the United States on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and all of our past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.